God's amazing promises. And his promises throughout the Bible give us hope that we can anchor our lives to. Their assurances, their incentives, and they teach us the character of God. They teach us the character of God in, in two ways. Can we turn off the music? There we go. All right. Teach us the character of God in two ways. First off, his promises reveal to us what God loves and values. Just by what he promises us, we get an insight into what he cares about, what he values and loves. And then secondly, his promises reveal to us his trustworthiness. He's not just a promise maker, he is a promise keeper. And as we see these promises uh, fulfilled in our lives and historically throughout the Bible, we re- God's character is revealed to us as a promise keeper. And because of that, we can experience greater joy and forgiveness. Peace from worry greater than we could ever imagine. Now, by nature, we humans, were always and the greatest solution to all of our problems and usually the solutions we figure out kind of create a whole set of problems for which we then go on another search uh, for another new solution. And it's this constant hamster wheel sort of motion that we never really get anywhere. Anybody ever feel like you're on the hamster wheel just constantly spinning? Yeah. But we have this, this love letter to the Philippians who were people living in the city of Philippi, and it's written by a guy named Paul, not our pastor Paul, of course, but the Apostle Paul, who was in prison, and he's, he's called by God to go all over Joy peace. Instead of what? Well, instead of worry and anxiety. You see, if we have expectations that things should be one way and we see that they're going sideways on us, we tend to do what? We tend to fear or be anxious or worry. Now, worry, though, is not the same as fear. It's not an equal thing. Fear is a normal response to perceived danger, and a certain amount of that is healthy, of course, isn't it? And it's wired in us to motivate us to get out of danger. But when it goes unchecked, and it's not just being in danger, it it grows into a pattern of worry and anxiety, and we need to deal with that. You see, Worry for most of us. Sometimes there may be some chemical or psychological problem in our lives. But for most of us, worry is really a choice. It's wrong thinking, dwelling on the negative possibilities, and feeling um, or fretting about the what ifs of life. And maybe you've had those times of worries that robbed your joy. Have you had those? Yeah, I think all of us have wondering about job lasting or fretting about paying all of our bills or stressing out about our kids' choices or concerned about our futures. And usually, when we get caught up in these cycles, it's more than just a passing thought, right? It's a gripping, ever-present weight on our emotions. And we feel a level of dread and doom and fear and hopelessness. And these are traps in 
normal times, right? That's normal in normal times. But with these, and say it with me, unprecedented times, <laughs> right? We are in unprecedented times. Everything's worse, and it's heightened, and it's more raw, and it's spiraling for so many people. And as you can imagine, God doesn't want for us to waste one moment, moment of time in this cycle. He doesn't want that for us. He's made a way for us to live differently than this. And Jesus himself offers great teaching on how to approach situations in our lives that we might worry about. I've shared a lot of this message before in years past, and I thought it was appropriate this week as we approach the promise of God's peace in our lives. And I even made at one point early on in the lockdown, I created one of our pastor's check-in videos on this topic that I would like to share with you. So turn your Good attention morning, to the Marinus screen. Good morning, Church, and anybody else that's watching today, I'm going to give you another watercolor um, illustration of a great point that I hope we will all capture. This isn't my best painting. I'm not trying to make my best painting, and I'm having fun just using the painting to illustrate a great principle and a point. Well, as you look at the painting, you see that there is a boat on some water um, that's being created, and it looks calm. It looks um, like beautiful color water, nice clear sky. And sometimes our lives are like that. We have moments where nothing's going on and we just think things are wonderful and, um, and we get complacent, don't we? And we get forgetful of all the blessings that we have in our lives. And we think, oh, it's always going to be this way and nothing's going to happen. Well, as we've seen, stuff happens, right? Back in November, I shared a message with our church uh, called The Lord is Near. And uh, I started with this story out of the book of Matthew. Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with the disciples. And suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. And the disciples went and woke him up shouting, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And Jesus responded, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man, they asked. Even the winds and waves obey him. Well, here's calm in our lives, and we're in that boat, and the boat is our experience in life, and sometimes it's calm. And so here they're in this boat, and the storms come up, and they are just all of a sudden just filled with desperation. Oh, what are we going to do? And Jesus is there sleeping. And as I said that, that November, they woke him up so Jesus could worry with them because they're thinking, we're going to die. And the storm clouds come and it gets crazy and the waves start crashing and we think, what is going to happen? How are we going to survive? And we do get filled with fear. And for those of us that are believers, sometimes we feel guilty about that. But let's just acknowledge the reality that we're human and the waves crashing and the clouds coming do cause us to get have great concern. And these are, as we keep hearing, unprecedented times. This is something so incredible happening. And it's wild. But I want us to remember 
that there is somebody in the boat with us. God is in our boat. The Lord is near. He is with us. And I want us to take great comfort in that reality that God is so very present in whatever our circumstance, whether it's facing job loss or impending sickness, or you know what? This isn't going to be the only trial and struggle that we have in our lives. This is going to pass, and most of us may look back on this as that time when that happened. But you know what? Struggles will always happen in our lives. And it's great to remind us that God is in our boat. He is watching over us. And he's calling us not to find strength in ourselves. He's calling us to see who he is for us and with us in our lives. I'm wrapping up the painting, as you can see, adding accents and wave crashes and... Jesus is there in the boat with us. And I hope you find encouragement with that today. God bless all of you today. God is, in, God? God is in our boat. And that is really our only point this morning. I'm going to bring out a few other passages with so many lessons that we could learn, but the only one I want to make big in our minds and our hearts today is that we need to see that God is in our lives. He is near. He is with us. And that gives us the promised peace. See, sometimes we look for peace as if it's something unique to itself. It's some sort of zen emotional state. I'm feeling calm and peace. But the Bible teaches us that peace comes when you're in the presence of God. Seek out God who is present with you more than this emotional state, and peace will come. And we're going to see that as we continue this morning. You see, all that is key uh, for us to need to stop being afraid, that's not the key as much as it is about realizing who is in the boat with us. And it's not about us. It never is. It's always about God. The God is in our boat the Lord is near, and that changes everything. Now, to bring this point home, let's go to the left to the Philippians for this very powerful passage. It says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, this passage is quoted 
uh, so often, all the time, parts of this passage in particular, it's not usually quoted as one full section. We often hear the rejoice part, right? We've heard that, rejoice, again I say rejoice. And then, of course, the think on these things section, you know, whatever is pure, noble, lovely, that is quoted often. Those are pretty famous sections. But most often when we quote that verse 6 and 7 together as the answer to worry and anxiety, this is what we start with. We say this, do not be anxious, but instead pray. And by itself, that's encouraging because there seems to be a solution to anxiety. Prayer seems to be brought out as the solution, right? And by itself, though, that seems to pit anxiety against the action of prayer. If I just pray more, I'm struggling because I need to pray more. We tend to turn this into a I need to do more situation. And it's so works-based. It is so self-dependent. It makes it about you and I. I'm anxious because I'm not praying. What's one of the first things we often tell people as advice when they're struggling? Well, maybe you should just pray about that more. And so not only do I need to get over my worry, I now have a new thing to worry about. I'm not praying enough. I'm failing God. I am an epic failure at this thing called faith in Christ and trust because clearly I'm not praying enough. You ever feel that way? I bet. I think we all have. Now, it is true that prayer does change our hearts, and we do find a peace. The action of prayer is powerful in and of itself. But the fuller context here has nothing to do with our effort. That's not what the verse is saying. That's not what Paul is teaching here. Prayer is not a response to anxiety. It's not a self-medication strategy for anxiety. See, the verses before, verses 4 and 5 are key, particularly 5. Paul exhorts us to rejoice. Why? Because the Lord is near. And then he goes on to say, because the Lord is near, we can rejoice and we should rejoice. Because the Lord is near, we don't need to be anxious. Instead, we pray. Because God is ever-present, We can be confident that our prayer is not this pointless exercise. I don't need to wonder if he will hear or care for me or act on my requests. I don't need to feel like he has left the room and I am only talking to myself. And I recognize that God is near. I rejoice and commune and petition and give thanks because he is near. I experience peace and protection. The entire passage pivots on that phrase, the Lord is near. It's all about God and nothing about me and my actions. It's all about the presence of God in our lives. You want to seek peace? Seek Jesus. That's the message here. 
Again, there are so many takeaways from these passages on how not to worry, because if worry is wrong thinking, it says to us that we should replace our thoughts with, with right thinking. Think on these things. There's other lesson. Instead of being anxious, we should pray. And yes, again, prayer should be an exercise we do, but seeking Jesus is the primary exercise. We should learn to be more thankful instead of focusing on what-ifs and poor me's, and we should practice these things. That's what the passage says. Practice these things, meaning it's not a normal behavior for us. It's not our default, right? So we need to practice these things to train ourselves to do life differently. And all of those lessons out of this passage could be sermons, points by themselves, and we could spend a lot of time on each one. But I want for us just to walk away with this idea today that the real answer is the Lord is near. God is in your boat. He is walking through life with you. He sent the Holy Spirit to reside in you. God is as near as you are. He is with you. Peace is not something out there you have to fight for. It's acknowledging God is near. Look at that again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. You see how it connects? This faith that Christ seemed to scold the disciples for not having, it's not some magical, mystical, emotional, made-up replacement for worry. And sometimes we fall into this trap of thinking that faith is this this blind, free-fall experience. And yes, there are times when we take steps of faith into the unknown. But they are most solidly based on something very known. God. His character, his nearness, his trustworthiness. I can step into the unknown because God has promised to be near and to take care of me and to give me a peace. Now, for those that consider themselves a maturing Christ follower, there is joy and evident reasonableness or gentleness, as some translations put it. Why? Because God is near. And for the maturing Christ follower, instead of anxiety, there are prayers of thanksgiving and requests. Why? Because God is near. And it's so easy to go through our lives knowing in our minds that God is big and awesome and sovereign and in charge, but in our moment-to-moment living, be completely clueless to the reality of his presence with us. We do that. We're imperfect, as Mark so nicely reminded us this morning, (laughs) right? We're imperfect, and we think it's all about us, and we forget that the big, awesome, sovereign God is near. (sighs) Maturing Christ followers take hold of this reality and are more and more assured by that. And our thoughts are taken captive, which means that we take control of them, not letting them run amok in our lives on the what-ifs. Instead, we focus them on where they should be, on what is. God is near. Now, I know it's simple on paper. It's easy for me to say this, right? And that's because, frankly, it is simple. 
but living it out and redirecting our thoughts to recognize that God is near at all moments, that's more challenging for us. We want to be honest about that. It is challenging. Because by nature we are sinners and we are selfish and we want to be in control and we have egos and shame and, well, you name all the reasons, all the roadblocks to living this out. But truly, the answer is hope. And we need to allow God to be God in our lives and we need to see him as being near at all times in all situations. And then it is the reasonable response to just say, of course I'll be okay. Of course I don't need to be concerned about that. I don't need to be concerned about what I'm going to wear and what I'm going to eat. And of course I'm going to rejoice and be thankful. Of course I'm not going to fear the storm because God is in the boat. The Lord is near. Now I said that this message was about God's promise for peace. But if you've been putting things together, you've realized already that while peace is promised, Peace is really a byproduct of an even greater promise. The Lord is near, the ever-present God. We need to realize that reality and power of God's presence in our lives. He promised to never leave us or forsake us, and as a result, um, peace and freedom from worry and anxiety are available to us. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up here as we close in prayer in just a moment. And I know that there is not a person in this room who can't have some sort of response uh, to this call to make God bigger in our lives. I think that that is a universal need for all of us. And so I invite you to pray at whatever stage you are in your faith, you're a maturing believer or new believer or not even a believer yet, you're here seeking and you're saying, okay, I want to invite God into my boat to be in control in my life. I ask you to do that as we pray. Perhaps God has been tugging at your heart and your response is to get on a path to continue to make God big in your life and become more aware of his moment-to-moment presence in your life. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you are near, that that is, frankly, the, the promise that is the foundation to all the promises, that you, Jesus, you left and you sent